0: But what they've been doing over there, one of the part of the cultural cleansing, is instead of tearing down the statue, they've now built, have you seen this, they're building boxes around statues, and then putting placards over them, and then essentially rewriting history, and tearing down the the man's character versus actually tearing down the statue. Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast. A podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to The Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor at Conduit Church. Joined each and every week with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. And we have just wrapped up chapter 3 of the book of John from our Believe series. And the goal each week for this podcast is to dive a little bit deeper into those things that maybe we can't get to on a Sunday teaching. And and so for this week, the back half of chapter three, starting in verse 32, uh, what's the end of the, the chapter? Was it 36 verses? Mm-hmm, 36, yep. And the teaching title was Signed, Sealed, and Delivered. And there's there's so much in this chapter that we're going to get into, but you were able to continue on the f- four weeks in a row now of a, like a pop cultural reference for a sermon title. I mean,
1: look, if there's anything that someone can say about me, it's that I am a bastion of
0: information of current pop culture, right? <laughs> like, like when I'm thinking of, okay, what's the latest thing happening in pop culture? I'm like, I should probably call Darren. I should call Darren, yeah. <laughs> Perez Hilton or Darren. And...
1: Uh, yeah, that—that's that, actually the last person you should be calling. You now we somehow accidentally started this little arms race between uh, sermon titles, and I'd like to—I'd like to declare a truce um, after this one. I was—I was both ashamed and proud of this title, and—and and honestly, it kind of—it kind of wrote itself because it came from verse thirty-three. Whoever has accepted it has certified God is truthful, and it's this greek word that i won't even begin to try to pronounce for certified and it actually means like signed, like a signature uh, uh, and it's a seal it's a, it's a signature that is a seal um that in this case speaks of uh god's truthful which is his testimony is the, the deliverance of you so signed sealed delivered i'm Perfect. like man stevie wonders 1970 wrote the soundtrack for sunday uh that we you know that literally speaks of where we are right now which is certified like that God is truthful we've certified that God if if you believe that Jesus's testimony about who God is who he is is true that that's the signature it's like the signifying you know uh, signet ring you pop into the wax to seal this document that's what that word certified means
0: yeah signet did do you you didn't get a chance to really get into culturally maybe with the 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 importance of what that meant from a king. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you are living in a culture where you have to trust documents,
1: like there was no text messaging, phone calls, right? So they had to, they would write a document and they would, um, a piece of, you know, papyrus, whatever they would roll up it into a scroll parchment and they would seal it shut so that the person that got it knew that what was, sent was exactly what was written if that seal was broken they could not trust what was written in the document so and this goes back millennia um in the bible you see it in esther chapter eight where king xerxes seal like esther is like having him make proclamations to the kingdom but it's it's sealed with his signet his seal And anything that is in that document sealed by him is as if it is the law itself with it. So that, culturally for millennia, before there was any sort of technology, this was the accepted means by which you would certify that what you are saying is truthful. That whatever is in this document you've received and what what he's saying here is that this is like me certifying, signifying that um, it's like I'm sealing up my life with this. I I'm rolling up my life, so to speak, and I'm sealing it with uh that this is what I receive, this is what I believe, and what it is, what's going to be in that document, is what I've heard from the testimony of Jesus, which is I'm saying is is true.
0: Yeah, it's really strong language because there's there are kind of legal parameters even around like a sealed document, a certified document. Like we see that used in in various different areas of the marketplace, like things Mm -hmm. that are sealed all the way to our federal government, right? Right. Like sealed documents that have been put away that are released or unreleased, redacted, right? Redacted,
1: sealed. And anyone that's ever received quote, do they still do, they do certified mail still, right? Like, yeah, technically like legal documents, Mm -hmm. like, um, it comes and it's, you know, it's delivered, but it's sealed up and it, you know. But it's certif. The reason it's called certified mail is that it's certified that whoever sent it is uh, you, and now you have certified that you've gotten it. And in in that way, you think about like this is actually the version of certified. I'm literally when I sign that piece of paper that I'm getting sued or whatever is happening to me that need to be certified. I'm certifying that I'm the one that received it and that I have received this information with my signature. Do you remember that used to
0: be uh, an old publishing trick? Yeah, (laughs) I dude, I forgot about that. No, yeah, it was like. It would help protect a songwriter. It was like an old trick, and I don't even know how legitimate it was. But I mean, it was legit in that if you ever, you know, in the very improbable case
1: that Britney Spears covered your song, and you had sent it on a tape to yourself, certified mail, it actually had an official. Yeah. Now it had
0: to be sealed. The like the, the the envelope had to be sealed. Yep. But yeah, that was uh, you know, so yeah, like back in the day, you would. You would have, if you wrote a song, if you were a songwriter. I forgot all about this. (laughs) And you would, you would write out the lyrics, maybe do a demo tape, throw, throw it in an envelope, go to the post office, mail it to yourself. Yeah. And then that could stand up in the court of law. Yeah. The poor man's publishing. Yeah. Yeah. As basically, you know, like first rights, like you, you. You were the originator, based yeah. upon some timestamp. You know the date that it was signed and sealed and delivered.
1: <laughs> I wonder if that was some sort of a scam propagated upon us by the uh, right. Illuminati at the post office. Because I mean, when you think about it, how how dumb am I? Like if I'm like 19 years old and I've written a song and I'm so scared that Garth is going to cover it then he won't, I won't get paid for it. I'm going to mail it to myself. Like I'm. I wonder how much money they made off of like 20 year olds
0: that were trying to protect themselves. Right, probably and, a lot because. I I remember that being a, a, a very popular conversation with independent artists back in the day of like, okay, how do we protect our music? Like, what's the, what's an easy way to protect our music? You know, so <laughs> What they should be asking is how do I get on the road? Like, how like, can I play my, how can my I stuff? write better songs? <laughs> <laughs> worrying
1: about problems. They're like creating a crisis where none exists. Like yeah. your crisis is you need to get your butt in a stage and a
0: microphone somewhere and learn how to do your craft. Yeah. And this song that you think that, you know, is so great that needs to be certified. Like it's actually terrible. Like. Let's figure out how to write yeah. better songs. And how are
1: you going to find that out? Sit in front of a crowd <laughs> of people that are like, "Well, I, yeah, let them vote. Count the yawns, and if you know if you've got a yawn per capita that's higher, then you know that's not that's not your song. You know, and the thing is, you can't. You obviously you can't mail yourself a performance. And uh, maybe it felt good to take control of the of the narrative. I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm saying that simultaneously thinking, did I do that? I'm wondering if I. Did. I don't think I did. Like I don't know if you know this. Mm. Oh, this is uh, breaking news. I, oh man, I'm, I'm already out. But I mean, I, in 1991, went into this, a studio and made a record because I was out leading worship for, you know, Baptist super summer stuff. Um, and it was just me and a guitar and I would, I mean, I actually made, I made a decent living. Like,
0: like I, I was Like, like the
1: poor man's Al Denson, or I don't know, like, I'm not sure what I was, but I would like, uh, it was like comedy and music and worship and like, uh, comedy yeah. and
0: music with a, with a, uh, a sprinkle of little worship tunes in there. Were you like covering Rich Mullen songs? No, no, I didn't. I wasn't you nearly, were buddies with Rich. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. I would have never, ever done that. I would have been too embarrassed. Like what, what was some comedy? Like what were you just like dropping in? Like,
0: was like dad well, jokes? Uh, or
1: okay. Was, Look, I'm going to, uh, you you've heard it here first. <laughs> I in night this is 1990 okay this is before I think this is before the Lion King okay I would break up the audience into three parts you're kidding me No no I swear I'm not making this up and we would I would get them we would do the Lion Sleeps Tonight a cappella with but the audience was doing it wow so I had the weem away section <laughs> I had the wee you know section uh crowd and, participation uh huh and I I'm, I'm telling you it crushed we, I never, I didn't do Pharaoh, Pharaoh, like the cheap <laughs> Al Dents and stuff. And I was, I was bringing cutting edge. And then the Lion King came out, and everybody thought I was copying that. I'm like, dude, I was doing that for two years before the Lion King. You should have copyrighted that idea. <laughs> I should have <laughs> mailed it to myself. <laughs> no, I would. I, I, so I was. I never fancied myself a worship guy, but that was the only thing that people were paying for. Nobody's to do.
0: So, entertainment.
1: Clean entertainment. Well, no, they would pay me to go lead worship at a sub, like a Baptist camp. Yeah. So I would like a Monday afternoon, I'd show up with my little pickup and my little uh, washburn, you know, white Uh guitar. And it was honestly a pretty cush gig. You'd lead a little bit in the morning, a little bit in the evening. And then you're kind of not doing anything. Yeah. The rest of the day. And back then it was like, uh, 1500 to 2000 for, you know, Monday through Friday. That's good money, dude. Bro, I'm telling you, I made a living. Like, it was, I would do that all summer long. What? Uh, and then I would, well, I say all summer. There would be, like, uh, like, Kansas, Nebraska, Baptist, Southern Baptist would,
0: I think there were six of those. Man, I don't know what Southern Baptists you were hanging out with in the middle of Nebraska, but I remember doing those types of things, granted, 10 years later, uh, for, like, Potlucks. Like, I wasn't getting any money. Well, you weren't in the... So, yeah, you don't know, the, the the potlucks. Know. I was getting nanner pudding and cornbread. <laughs> you should have thrown your guitar case out. And, right. Um, <laughs>
1: but no, I was I was in these camps because they were... Um, but they had a budget. And in those days, especially, 1500 to 2000 for a Monday through Friday, there was no way they were going to get anybody to do that that had a record contract. That's impressive, man. So I would do that. And then I would do... Uh, you know, like a Sunday at a church in the area, um, usually a Sunday night, you know, kind of thing. sometimes a Saturday night or a, or the, the, uh, you know, Prairie days kind of thing. There's a stage out in the middle of a, you
0: know, Colby, Kansas or, you know, I don't know. Like I, um, did you ever do fourth quarters or no fifth quarters? Fifth quarter, Fifth quarters. It was always, you know, these post football game gigs. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I, I did I do some of those. I did some of those too.
1: Did you do them with the band or with, with you? With the band. Yeah.
0: No, there was there was a pre-band Mo version out there, which is how I met my wife. That's, did, but that's a whole other podcast. Did you go into a studio and make a record? Uh uh-huh. huh. Four songer. Yeah. I won a competition that paid for the the album, which it exists. It's out there. But uh, oh God, I didn't win anything, man. I, I well, I did win. I'll tell you what I did win was when
1: a guy named Jeff Gregg, who was an agent at Vanguard Entertainment. Yeah, I
0: know Jeff.
1: Um saw my calendar and was like, dude, how did you do this? Like, how did you book all these things? And I didn't know that it was a big thing. I just, I just picked, I don't know. I just called some people. Right. And so I didn't think anything of it, but he, he had acted like I had like discovered plutonium by accident kind of thing. And that was the path that ultimately led me to becoming an agent Yeah. Because, I mean, I was, I was, I don't know, in one way I was completely unaware, but in other ways I was really self-aware. And self-aware that I really can't sing that well. Um, I can't play that great. I'm, I don't have the discipline to, I don't, I don't want to have the discipline to be Tommy Sims on bass. Bass was the only thing anybody ever paid me to play, because honestly, in those days there was no bass player, so you could get paid to play bass just because there weren't any. So...
0: One one quick point to this About your bass playing And then we're going to get back on topic here For those that are, that are listening That understand some CCM history You must know You must be aware That Darren played bass <laughs> In For him's Music video For Basics of life. The Basics of Life So If you go scrub YouTube For The Basics of Life by for him, you will see the Darren Tyler playing bass with his mullet and vest. <laughs> no, I wasn't. Oh, wait, was that a vest on that? I'm think pretty sure you're wearing in, a vest. Oh, I
1: think you're right. I, thought, I was thinking I had a, a Gap jacket on, but you know who else was in that is um, Wild Willie Davis, who was the one-man band, Carmen's g- t- a keyboard player. Oh, wow. And his son, Jamie Davis, who... Uh, was in Seventh Day Slumber. Yeah. Been around a while. Great guy. But that, that was, uh, but it was before his brother was ever in a band called Rays. It was before any of that. That was just oh 1992? A long time ago.
0: But so it exists. The video exists, which I love.
1: Yeah, there's not much that exists from that time frame, including in and not limited to the record that I did not mail to myself. I
0: don't think. I might have mailed it to myself. Now, I'm really embarrassed to think <laughs> signed, that I might have done that. Signed, sealed, and delivered. Which was... you had three points on Sunday with this passage. Signed, sealed, and delivered going to Jesus, being with Jesus, believing in Jesus. And it's it speaks to a bit of a a, not a process, but I think it speaks to the certification part like cuz what I
1: was getting from it was if you're going to certify that something is truthful, like you God know. never asked us to do that blindly. Yeah. yeah. Like it's not like a it's not the altar call of the eighties. You know, if you'll just say this prayer while this Yamaha DX seven keyboard playing in the background of the roads patch that you are now saved. And it's, so it's, and it's also not like a, just a blind faith. um, Just accept it. It it, literally that the idea of certified, I have examined the evidence and I have found it truthful. And that's so important because What is the testimony of Jesus? There's an enormous amount of people in our culture, and this is not new to our era, but the internet has amplified these voices that are saying this is some version of Jesus is what they're certifying, but it's not the version of Jesus that he testified to being. For instance, when you hear Richard Rohr say that Jesus did not die for your sins, that is literally not the testimony of Jesus, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Right here in John 3, 1, 2, and 3, behold the lamb of God, speaking of a sacrifice that was for the sins of the, you know, so the te- we need to spend time like going to Jesus, being with Jesus, like listening to his testimony. And if we certify that it's true, that's what we that's when the believing I now believe because I have certified I've listened to what he's saying his claims. I've examined the evidence and I have found this to be truthful and I can you know, I've been I've been at this a little longer than others, but that's where I've found myself in my life is that I spent a lot of time examining this testimony and examining Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and examining other religions and I you, you it always comes back to that. Jesus's claims. The, the deeper you go into the claims of Christ, the more true they become. As opposed to like Islam, the deeper
0: into Islam you go, the less true it becomes. So, what is Roar then claiming? I mean, if he's if he's saying that's not true or that that's not certifiable, <laughs> uh, then what is he
1: saying? I'd give a thousand dollars to somebody who could like clearly articulate what Rohr is saying. Because
0: his his disciples, those that follow him very closely and have seemingly big microphones as well, yeah this progressive Christianity wave that has hit America specifically over the past five years, probably yeah, in a big way. What are they then saying? If, if that's not certified uh, truth, then, then what are
1: they saying? Bro? I have, so I've read, uh, everything belongs. Like I've, I've, uh, I've read pretty much everything Roar released in book form. Most of it anyway. And it is honest, have you ever read the lyrics to a Goo Goo Dolls song? <laughs> yes, right?
0: Which is actually funny to, that you say that, yeah.
1: Like, it, it's amazing. I have no idea what any of that means. <laughs> Baby's black balloon makes me fly.
0: <laughs> what a great I, reference.
1: I, I almost fell into a hole in your life. Like I don't know what any of that means, but it sounds amazing. And yeah. that's literally a Richard Rohr quote, because he speaks of what he calls Christ consciousness. And in Christ conscious, Christ consciousness... So this is like what Gungor, Michael Gungor is talking about these yeah, days, a lot right. of Christ consciousness. And it's that Christ is everything and everything we're in. A, it's Hinduism with the face of Jesus on it. Yeah. That if yeah. I can reach this higher level of consciousness, that that's Christ. And which is why they would have and do say that, you know, Jesus is a way that not the way. Um, but when you hear him talk about even the resurrection of Christ, he... I, I, I can't reference it, so, but I'm going to say I have heard him say it, and it's probably not hard to find. It, Rohr does not find that the resurrection of Christ literally needs to have happened. Because in him, the resurrection uh, is that we are all, the Christ is in all of us. You're Christ, I'm Christ. Remember that tweet that blew up that Michael Gunger Yeah. I, I, that was just literally vomited up um, Richard Rohr stuff. Yeah. And so, But that's not the testimony of Jesus. And that's when I say that that is an intellectually untenable position, it's like if you're, you know, you've known me a very long time. You know the good, the bad, the ugly, the whole thing. And so you know if someone's talking about me, what is likely true and not true because you know me. You've, you've, you've heard my testimony, so to speak. Uh, the good and the bad. So it'd be like someone going around talking about Darren how emotionally touchy feely he is and how he's just such an emotional guy and loves just deep profound heartfelt conversations. You'd be like, "Bull <laughs> crap, that's not Darren." Imposter. That, that's a that is a that is not the testimony of Darren at all. That is saying you are literally taking Jesus and hijacking his message and not certifying that god is truthful you're certifying that i am truthful that richard Rohr is truthful that michael gunger is truthful that there is it's the postmodern
0: post truth world packaged with jesus's face yeah i it, i really struggle with it because i i'm trying to i'm a critical thinker i mean i just am i'm i'm, I'm wired that way right um, it's the old phrase, uh, spaghetti versus waffles. Like in- I've never heard this old saying. Is this a Dayton saying? Is Ohio? <laughs> I told it might be an Ohio thing. I don't know. My buddy Jamie Brandenburg and I talk about this sometimes. Very much Ohio. Oh well, yeah, he's a Brandenburg Ohio guy. But no, like this idea of spaghetti thinking, like it's all like like a ball of yarn in your thoughts, right? And just it just exists. It's all there, but it's it's everywhere. Versus waffles, which is like it's got a grid and there's a pattern. Place where the syrup goes. Yes,
1: <laughs> you can make sure you have
0: optimal syrup <laughs> syrup coverage on the waffle because every square is filled. Yeah, yeah. So it's like huh. it's an order. And so, as a critical thinker, it's hard to reconcile with what they're saying. When they use yeah. the Bible as some sort of loose foundation for what they believe, but it's not a hill they're willing to die on. Like I, I can't, like I'm really am trying to, hard to, to to kind of align, not align myself, but come to a, some sort of understanding of at least where they're starting from. And but if you play it out, it like it, it gets really loose, really quickly.
1: Very loose, very quickly and you literally and if you, uh, and I have I've engaged in multiple conversations over the years with various uh different you know people I guess I sure. shouldn't say names but and it always comes down to at some point when they are when there's some version of Jesus whether it's the Richard Rohr or the Rob Bell or the Brian McLaren where it comes down to well it just feels better this feels better to me and Man, I got to tell you, that's, first of all, it's a misuse of the word feeling. Like when people talk about feelings being bad, especially most of my intellectual friends will say feelings are bad because you can't build your life on feelings. So like a Childers or Doc Easley, those are the are things that they would say. And, and they are 100% right. If you're using the word feelings to mean that it just seems to me that this would be, I actually would say that your feelings are actually very important in this, because what I think you're saying is... This makes me scared. I feel scared about this, so it doesn't feel like it could be true. I would rather know like what are you feeling here? Do you feel angry? Do you feel afraid? Do you feel glad? Do you feel your feelings could actually be a guide to this? You know, that if God says something that is true and I feel sad about it, that's better to, to know what I'm feeling so I can then it can lead me to wisdom in it, which is to accept that this is true or not, right? That sadness, if you if you sit in sadness, it actually leads to wisdom which, or acceptance, which is wisdom. So you can't build your life on this feels like it's true or not. It either is true or it's not, but dealing with how it makes you feel is not a bad thing because it then can lead you to how to step into that truth. And for me, feeling like knowing that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, we're going to, uh, spoiler alert, that's coming in John. Um, no man comes to the father, but by him. Anybody who tries to get into the sheep pen by any other way, but through Jesus is a thief. Uh, that, that, those are words of Jesus. You know, that when you, if you think about it, that it, it makes me uh, sad that I can't find any other way. I mean, Jesus in the garden, is there any other way? And there was not, right? So there's no other way, but it led him to acceptance and then to. You know, following through on the truth, and then to the other side of the truth, which is that you know there is life in Jesus, there is life in Christ, and any of these other ways,
0: these other options, they just don't work. Yeah, wow, it's so good and it's so true, and we're seeing that culturally, right? Um, we've talked about this before, but we're seeing it culturally where by doing or living "quote unquote" in a secular version of righteousness. Mm-hmm. Um, somehow makes you more esteemed makes you better person for the good of humanity. We're seeing this play out obviously through the COVID years. Um, we're seeing it play out in other ways. Uh, you, you, you made a, a mention to, uh, kind of the, I don't know if it's a scandal, but the Maren Morris, um, country music singer, kind of her, her stance on not joining the CMA awards. Yeah, based upon who was in the audience. Is, did I am, am I lying here? I'm a pop culture,
1: right? I'm an expert, right, in pop culture. Yeah, I mean, um, that was a
0: good reference.
1: Well, the, uh, the so the conversation that that sparked what we're reading here in John in chapter three was sparked because after Jesus uh, and his followers had baptized, or had spent the time with Nicodemus, she must be born again. They go up north to this little area where they were baptizing and there was a controversy that was unfolding with John's disciples, John, the Baptist disciples over ceremonial cleansing, which in their culture was, you know, there were laws and it's, I mean, Levitical laws, there's pharisaical laws about what you have to do in order to be quote unquote clean. And all of them are cleaning from the outside And ceremonial just means that it's like a, um, it's like a theater. Like I'm doing this as a, to show that, you know, in some ways, by the way, baptism is a ceremonial thing with a spiritual implication to it. There is a spiritual experience with it, but there is a ceremonial component to it. So the question for them was, hey, you're over here dunking them in the Jordan River. Does that count? Because, and, and they weren't even, they didn't even talk about the baptism of Jesus. They were still on the baptism of John of, does this make you clean or not, and in the Jewish tradition, the Jewish faith, clean meant accepted. If, if you are clean, you can be in here with us. If you are unclean, you're, you you got to be out of town. And they had all kinds of rules and laws and regulations and policies and procedures over what made you clean or unclean, and everything from a menstrual cycle to touching a dead body to leprosy. Uh, Jesus heals a man. There's have touched. You know, he touched when Jesus touched this guy with leprosy. They weren't so concerned that Jesus was going to get leprosy. They were concerned that he was touching a man that was, quote unquote, unclean. So that's the conversation they were having. And that is literally the conversation, the debate of humanity from time immemorial, since the beginning of humanity. And it is still going on today as far as what makes somebody accepted in our culture and what, what I was making reference to with uh, this Maren Moore. I don't even want to call it a controversy because it's not I mean, it's Marin Morris. Who? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Sure. In in People Magazine, like, does that even? I don't even know. Do they print magazines anymore? Do they? That's a great question. Like, I just want some of the stuff that keeps getting jumped in my mailbox. I'm like, I want to put a trash can out by my mailbox because all you're literally doing is asking me to throw something away for you. Like, I'll I'll drop a twenty dollar tip for my mailman if you'll just go ahead and just drop this in the trash can so I don't you know it'll save me the trip to the can. But this People Magazine article. Uh, so, so here's the controversy. Brittany Aldean, who I've never met before, uh, lives in our community, married to country singer Jason Aldean, which I, I I swear to you, if you were to, of course, this I'm admitting now I'm not a cultural uh, genius, I couldn't name a Jason Aldean song. If you, if you, if no you, clue. right, you put a gun to my head, said, name one Jason Aldean song. I'm like, well, we're, you know, not tell tell my wife I loved her because I can't, uh, I don't know. It's not our what,
0: world. I don't know.
1: Um. But his wife, you know, uh, shares this post on Instagram. That, and all it says was, I'd really like to thank my parents for not changing my gender when I went through my tomboy phase. I love this girly life. Pretty, you know, uh, simple and easy. But here's the thing. In, in our Western culture, so the ceremonial cleansing, this is a cultural cleansing. You can't say that in our culture. So now she's unclean. With it, and so this article, you know, these are the Pharisees of our modern era. In this article in People Magazine, they were this writer, uh, Rachel DeSantis. I wonder if she's related to Ron. I wonder if Uncle Ron is her. Uh, anyway, refers to that based on just that one sentence. Uses the word "quote transphobic" unquote seven times in that article, referring to Brittany Aldean. She is now culturally unclean because she's not. So the, this version of the Pharisees is saying, in order to be in here, you've got you to say these words. You've got to use my pronouns. You've got to use my, my delusion has got to become your reality. And if not, you are unclean. And everybody knows the cue and everybody knows to jump on. And they know to use words. This is not, I mean, I, I can't really say that. People magazine was never exactly considered journalism. But if you go to MSNBC cnbc uh and i i'm i'm i I don't know why i don't want to say it but i think fox news even but when you use the word transphobic that's not a fact that's an accusation and these words have meaning like so this is literally the 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 culture that says you know you shouldn't gaslight to say something that's not true that is true or you know is gaslighting the culture saying that this simple statement by a uh, a mom of some kids that lives in a, you know uh, Williamson county is quote transphobic because she didn't use the right language
0: yeah and we're seeing we're seeing it more often in other ways. I mean it's all over the place this this separation, this division based upon a simple belief or unbelief of a culturally accepted or unaccepted quote-unquote, truth. And so there's this division that's happening left and right amongst friends, amongst family, amongst even believers. Oh, yeah, 100% amongst believers. And these keywords that are meant to divide. It, divide because it's
1: it goes back to the ceremonial cleansing, like dividing because if I'm right, I'm certain about this that I'm right you uh, by casting you away i'm safer and, and honestly i i would much rather have old school fascists cuz at least you know the rules you know, this narcissistic modern we're doing this in the name of good you know cuz this uh, whoever this uh, reporter is i you know I, I don't know i've not really read anything but i know that you you could literally across the board you hear whether it's congressional testimony media reports whatever they all say some version of the same thing well we're trying to save lives here and so it's it's actually done under the auspices of uh, of narcissistic do-gooding which is i think way more insidious and way more dangerous than straight-up fascist because these guys are pretending like what they're doing is noble and good and this is anything but noble and good um I mean, even to the fact of stating facts that we, by doing so, and, they'll, and they will cite the fact that um, there is a high percentage of self-harm and suicide amongst the transgender community. True statement. That is a fact. Malcolm Gladwell falls in the same category. So we should be more kind and caring to them so that uh, the, the fewer of them will harm themselves. If the And the idea being that if I affirm that they're feeling this way is accurate, then, that, then less of them will, as opposed to thinking, has anybody done any research and studied the fact that the fact that this body dysmorphia, this feeling that I do not belong in my own body, that I do not, whether or not somebody accepts me is not the problem. What is the problem is, is that I have a, a mental issue that needs help. It's it's an overused fact, but, or a trope maybe even, but someone who has anorexia, we don't celebrate that and say... Can I have those fries? Like we don't. We want to help somebody with uh, 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 an eating disorder because it does not help them to celebrate their eating disorder. But that's not what anybody's talking about. Because the ceremonial cleansing, the ceremonial cleansing, the cultural cleansing is that I have to, you have to affirm, not only affirm but confirm, certify that what their testimony is is true. Whether it is true or not is irrelevant. I have to certify that it is true, and. it is um, on. It seems it, it seems to be. It is on the rise in our culture. The internet has allowed for people to say very normal things like, "Man, thank you, mom and dad, for you know not giving me puberty blockers and cutting my breasts off because I was a tomboy." Like that's a very reasonable thing to say, and I can certify that that's true. But we're being asked to not certify that that is true. That the other way around is true. That Vanderbilt or boston or whatever hospital should be allowed to uh to make these decisions for my children and i've said it and i don't mean to be glib but it really is true at eight years old i wanted to fight crime in a semi with a chimpanzee because bj and the bear and thank god my parents didn't buy me a chimp or a semi or allow me to surgically alter myself to look like that because i was eight i didn't know it seemed like a perfectly reasonable thing to do if you are allowing your 8-year-old to make the decisions that will literally permanently alter their lives, that's child abuse.
0: Yeah, and another way that we're being culturally cleansed, there's a there's a photo that's flying around on Twitter today. It's a uh, it was taken of uh, over in the UK, a, a series of statues. I mean, there's statues all over the place in in England, right? And um it's a Thomas Guy, you familiar with Thomas Guy is a, a hospital. It's a very famous large hospital yeah. over there. Um he's a you know, a, f- a founder and, you know, an early um English um you know I guess doctor. And so there's statues of him. But what they've been doing over there, and one of the part of the cultural cleansing, is instead of tearing down the statue, they've now built have you seen this? They're building boxes around statues, and then putting placards over them, and then essentially rewriting history and tearing down the the man's character versus actually tearing down the statue. So they're boxing it up. Wow. That way they don't have to tear it down; they just cover it up. And there's this picture of a of, of like a high school field trip of students being walked by and being told about. The new history, as it were, (laughs) of what they should believe about this individual. And so we're seeing that happen all over the place, too. Like this rewriting of history is another cleansing of culture.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, you know, Brave New World, 1984. Those guys weren't prophets. They were historians. And going all the way back to where Jesus is, the ceremonial cleansing is something that they were wanting to know uh, what makes me acceptable, what makes me clean, so to speak. And it's a question that at the core of all humans, we all have. And the bottom line is, is, is Jesus's testimony about that true? When John says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That was not a Jesus came to die to be a good example statement, which is something um, that you'll hear, I think, from like William Paul Young. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other guys that are out there that, are, that, that that they sort of would say that like is to be a good example for us. Probably Roar as well. If if, if we're looking to Jesus to be our example. His example actually will crush us because my, I literally could never live up to uh, the example that Jesus gave. The Sermon on the Mount, I've said it before, but it's bears repeating. If you read the Sermon on the Mount and think this is beautiful, this is so beautiful, you're not reading it right. The proper response to the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus save me from the Sermon on the Mount. I, if I've just looked upon a, a woman with lust in my heart, you know, a younger version of Darren was like, I made some very bad decisions based on really bad theology going, well, I might as well get my money's worth. Like, I've already done it in my heart, so I might as well. Uh, but that's the, the the thing. Like, I can't – as a guy that I'm already – you've lost me at that. If you're right, I offend you, pluck it out. Well, it. I'm going to be walking around with no hands and no eyes. Save me from this sermon, right? The, what the testimony of Jesus is is that you cannot – uh, get there on your own accord. your own attempts at cleansing yourself are always going to be from the outside in and you're still going to get dirty within minutes after getting cleaned. So the other way is a transformation from the inside out and when you go to Jesus, you spend time with Jesus that's the thing I brought up in the in the message was that John the Baptist kept, when you read what he was saying, he was just saying what Jesus had said, not what he wanted Jesus to say, but what Jesus had said. And the more time you spend with Jesus and you're accepting his testimony, one of the ways you know that you've accepted his testimony
0: is what you're saying is the same thing that Jesus was saying. Scientism, um, I guess kind of like a new religion, not, not a new religion. It's been around for a bit. But it's obviously taken precedence of late, where it's this belief that, you know, science is the be-all, end-all. Yeah. It was interesting. You were talking about um, your visit to a a hospital recently and how one of their core values that's kind of like plastered all over the building and on repeating signs and uh, visuals in the lobby and talking about the word compliance. Oh, yeah. That that really gets me fired up.
1: Dude, I was, uh, if you, if you, you've had, you've had surgery, right? I mean, when I was a kid. Okay. Well, you're, you're not f- recently. Well, you're 41, you know, uh, the ghost of Christmas future is calling and at some point I reject that some, some doctor is going <laughs> to poke you with something sharp in some place that your wife is not even allowed to touch you. Like you're going to be laying in this bed with anticipation of like what's about to happen to you. But I'm, so I'm laying in this bed for longer than I wanted to. Uh, in the little holding room and there's a little computer screen in there that is for the employees. And this is Vanderbilt hospital. Um, and so each, uh, the screensaver keeps flashing different you know, signs or screens, whatever. And, and they were flashing the core values of Vanderbilt. And I don't remember any of the others, but what the one that I remember was this giant bold print compliance, like covered up the screen and this little sentence underneath of it that uh, we, we, it, it was like total, like uh, George Orwell speak of like, we believe in uh, the, the, co- the common unity of man and the good of each other. And so if you see someone violating uh, whatever, then you should report them. And here's the number to report them. Uh, and I'm thinking I would expect to see that in a Muslim country or in a uh, Eastern Bloc Europe totalitarian regime, but this is Vanderbilt University encouraging their employees to snitch on each other. I was listening to an interview with a guy that, that had uh, survived a totalitarian regime, and he said, uh, it was our neighbors were the ones that we were the worried about the most. They were the one, If anybody was going to report us, it was our neighbors. it was our friends. For us, that's brand new, right? Oh gosh, someone's gonna tattle on me. But that was like that's literally how these totalitarian regimes were built. And here in the scientist world of Vanderbilt University, being told that you should tattle on someone if they're not and, and we, this I'm I, I, I couldn't say this with certainty, but I'm if it wasn't a core value before COVID, it certainly has been accentuated since COVID that that that's literally what they're talking about. If your employees are not obeying the rules of COVID restrictions, then tattle on them. Oh man. It's so frustrating to hear that. Yeah, yeah but it is. Yeah, it is. I was going to, just going to give you some silver lining, but it's just really frustrating. It's just the human condition that we yeah. need saved from all of us need saved from it. Yeah. Um. Because, in, you know, uh, when your power is about, tattling on people, forcing someone to your will, whatever, whether that's from a Christian version of that or a secular version or a scientific version of it, at the end of the day, uh, it's just, it's, it, that's the human condition on full display, uh, because I'm afraid. And if I can control you, then I'm less afraid. I'm more sure. Um, it, it's <laughs> it, it, the, the old, um, saying of you know, they, they first they came for, uh, the Jews and then they came for the, I'm going to get this butchered wrong, but when they came to me, there was nobody left to speak up for me, um, from, from Nazi Germany. That's very, very true in our world, right? We, it, because it's a human truth that we will, um, when, it, when it finally affects us as generally speaking, when we would speak up or, or resist, um, I, I would say that one of the things that being a Christian gives us the courage to do is not wait until it affects just us before we do anything. Like, it doesn't really bother me. They're not bothering me, so it's not going to be. But they're going to. It's coming for you. So I'd rather just say, let the truth, you know, speak the truth, speak whatever I believe to be true, what I have certified as true, and then let the chips fall where they may. Whether it's scientism, which,
0: I mean, it is a religion. I mean, it just, we've seen it. Uh, Yeah, because if you don't, if you don't adhere to the ritual, you're excommunicated. The straight up ceremonial cleansing uh, that we saw, you know, we saw with COVID,
1: but it's, it's, you know, it's across the board. There are things, whether it's the pharmaceutical industry, uh, you know, throwing pills at everything as opposed to, you know, like Mike was saying, get outside, you know, get some sunlight, get some, um, but there's a scientific belief uh, that I uh, thought, golly, uh, C.S. Lewis, and I'm going to butcher this again. I'm butchering. This is like quote butchering Wednesday for me. <laughs> he, he, there's this, I, I, it might've been a mere Christianity. It might've been the great divorce, but he's talking about, just give me one miracle. There's, I just need one, the way everything else with life, whatever, you, you, every one of our lives requires us to believe at least one miracle is what he's saying. And he was saying this about the resurrection. Most people, including Jordan Peterson, who you know, a lot of people really love, The resurrection bothers them to the point that it's not, I can't get there because it's impossible while simultaneously believing that the universe came from nothing, that there was nothing. And then there was something, there was nothing. And then less than three minutes later, everything that was ever created was made by nothing. Give me one miracle. So you can say you don't believe in miracles, but if you are a scientism person, you do believe in miracles because you believe that that happened and someone raising from the dead. That's really not that big of a stretch when you, when you believe in a, in a universe that was created from nothing, which by the way is what the biblical record already
0: records. You offer some hope on this, uh, on this, this teaching. Thank goodness. Right. (laughs) You offer some hope with Jesus sealed. You are sealed and Satan will be sealed. That's, that's a pretty good dose of hope right there.
1: Yeah, it is. And you know, obviously I know what you're saying. I didn't offer it. Jesus, I'm just telling you the hope that Jesus gives. Yeah, you're
0: pointing to it. Because
1: that's the, the fact is, if I certify and seal this with my seal, I believe this. I'm accepting it. 1 Corinthians 1 verses 20, 21, 22, somewhere in that area. It speaks of us being with the same word sealed, same Greek word. By, by God. And, by, and the Holy Spirit is that seal, by the way. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, Second Corinthians 1, 1, 21 and 22. I'm butchering quotes and
0: Bible verses. It's a meat shop over here. It's just, the meat's flying everywhere. It's like <laughs> a Brazilian. <laughs> yeah, this is the verse. 2 Corinthians 1, 21, 22. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us and set his seal of ownership. That's the word that you're talking yeah. about, seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit yeah. Guaranteeing what is to come, man. That's hopeful. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. If if you are sealed with the seal of God,
1: like that is an unbreakable. So you go back to Esther chapter eight. Um, Xerxes, she is now officially, you know, the queen, right? Of uh, is it Babylon? Oh, uh, why don't we get them? I, I think it's Babylon. Um, but she, she's the queen, and when there's a statement goes out about protecting the Jewish people, Xerxes seal is on it and nobody is going to get hurt because his seal is on it. It's like that scene from a few good men in the, in the courtroom where Jack Nicholson, you know, this little famous, you can't handle the truth. Like before that, he's saying, look, I give orders and people give those orders. If they don't follow orders, people die. Like it's my orders are irrevocable. That's God, his orders are, it's Xerxes, right? But it's God. His seal is irrevocable. And the awesome thing about it is whether it's Jack Nicholson or Xerxes, these are people that seal, and they're not good people. These are not like the character he played and There was not a good guy at all. If you're going to be sealed, it would be great to know if the person, the the God, so to speak, that is sealing you is good. If 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 his word is good, right, irrevocable, and that the one sealing you is like eternally good and, and kind. And that is the God of the universe. And we know it because in Jesus' hands, he, the only thing man made in heaven are the scars on the body of Christ. And he, I believe, who knows why, but it seems like a good reason why to have kept them is that so we'll always know that whatever you don't know about God, you know, he's good. And so his seal is irrevocable. It's sealed by a good God. And that same seal of God is going to Revelation 20 verse three, seal up Satan for eternity, just sealed and that door is shut and nobody's opening it. He's
0: gone. That's a really fun verse. Uh, Revelation 20 verse three. That can get, they can get blurry. Yeah. Right. A little, they can get a little blurry for, for a minute. There's a lot, there's a lot in there. I, locked and sealed is is the is the truth that we're pulling out of it. Uh when it says he threw him into the abyss, capital A abyss, what is the abyss? Where is the abyss? Right? <laughs> right. And who are these demons that are going to be who
1: have been sealed, who've been held uh-huh. up, but now
0: they've been unleashed one more time for oh, the last go? There's a lot happening right there. Yeah. But the hope that we have is that it's 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 under lock and key. Uh-huh. That he, God's seal is uh, irrevocable
1: his seal is inarguable nobody can uh, 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 i think it's uh, i think it's john we're going to get there that uh, you you are safe in my hands no one's going to pluck you out like that seal is is whatever else is happening in the world the testimony of jesus is what we're attesting to the lamb of god Slain before the foundation of the earth, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And uh, Third John, First John, one of the Johns. Not just, I think it's Third John. Not just my sins, but the sins of the whole world. Um, the, the Lamb of God. There is no ceremonial cleansing that can do what Christ has done. And humans will continue to try over and over and over again. And we, it would just be best if you figure this out now. It's not going to work. Allow Christ seal right his testimony you certify that it's sealed uh it's true and if it's true uh, you know let the chips fall where they may and where these chips fall is that I can stand before God now completely accepted and clean without any more ceremony without any Dr. Fauci without any uh scientism culturalism
0: religion it's just Christ just Jesus yeah. We believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And that is a hill that we will die on. It's the hill that he died on Calvary. And we believe in that. Um, and so we, we live our lives according to that and the hope of his return. Yeah. If he's not, we
1: all literally can go home. Yeah. I, honestly don't understand i respect my friends or people that have gone full atheist way more than i respect the the richard roars of the world where you're trying to retrofit the 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 this jesus message to something that feels more culturally comfortable for me it's just it's intellectually untenable like it's literally a cowardly thing to do Cause you're trying to ascribe something to him with no foundation. You're accusing us of how, at least we've got a foundation to say like, this is what the Bible says. And we believe that the Bible is true. If you don't believe the Bible is true, then
0: nothing you say about Jesus should be accepted because you're making it up out of hand. John chapter three. There's a lot there in those 36 verses over two weeks, a lot happening in John chapter three. Yeah. Heading into John chapter four. Uh-huh. Give us a little glimpse the woman at the well. Yeah. Have you seen the, you've seen the chosen, right?
1: Yes. So I might be one of the only Christians that didn't finish it yet. And I, not because I have some theological just time. And, I just didn't get to it. I don't know. And yeah. it wasn't, that it wasn't even good. I don't have any explanation for it. But one of the scenes that I have seen uh, around social media, whatever, that literally, like, I feel like they they nailed this. And I know, like, uh, Joey and Joel. Like, Isn't it funny, by the way, that, like, our, our youth pastor and kids ministry are more fundal- fundamentalist than we are? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, the, it, this is the, the, not the way it normally goes. Like, normally yeah, right. it's the pastor going, oh, you need to be, you know, the, the chosen. Uh, they're making up stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually okay with them, uh, you know, creating, you know, kind of to create some emotion and character around somebody that, you know, they're not claiming to right anyway um but they did i think they did a great job at this story of literally hitting making this woman come to life who she is
0: in the story um yeah i think it's season two episode one i think (laughs) that's that's impressive if you know well well, i mean if yeah if you have the ability to watch it somebody fact check that yeah right um yeah, and it's 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 done really well. I think I can I could be wrong, totally wrong, but I think it's the setup for the season two mm. is that first episode with with him at the well. Yeah. And yeah, man, it's it's really powerful. It sets the scene. It's the first person that Jesus sends out
1: to testify of who he is. Sends her out as a missionary back to her own town. Mm. And it is just utterly fascinating that in a culture that didn't respect women, that uh, a culture specifically that wouldn't have respected not only a woman, but a Samaritan woman. So that means that she was half Jewish and half uh, another race of something. So she was half um, respected even less. And when you, you know, he, he talks about her. you're right. You're not married. You've been married, you know, multiple times. And this guy that you're with now is not even your husband. You and I have been in the pastor chair long enough to know that if that is someone's story, there's a lot of pain in that story. Something that started before her first husband ever came into the picture and then amplified by that. You know, I've been around um, women in developing nations who uh, it happens in Haiti quite a bit. Uh, a man comes and loves him, quote unquote, and leaves him. And it's not that the woman is a loose woman. So, like, is, do they use the word loose anymore? I don't know if that's a word. Anyway, it's that she has no other option. She doesn't have a job. She doesn't have an option for a job. And so a man represents a potential for uh, protection, like literally physical safety, financial provision. So she kind of puts herself out there thinking, OK, maybe this guy will be the guy. That'll finally yeah. receive, accept me and protect me and take care of me. And, you know, and it's ironic that, you know, Jesus uh, just the chapter before chapter three refers to you know, he's referred to as the bride and the bridegroom. And here we are talking about a, a bridegroom to a bride who has had five of them and none of them were good to her. So this even that imagery might have like evoked a trigger in her like, ooh, like that doesn't. But what he's saying is that this is what a bridegroom was meant to be. It was a, I chose you. I love you. I'm going to protect you. That's the imagery from John 3. And in here, he uses the imagery of water, uh, which in that culture— Living is water. Living water. Because, again, I you spend time in developing nations. They spend most of their day in a pursuit of water. they got to walk to the well, get water from the well, bring back water. Home— there's no, you don't even like in, in most of those countries, like the, the idea of us like turning the shower on and just standing there and none of that in those cultures. If you have a shower, you turn it on, get yourself wet, turn it off, lather, turn it back on, rinse, conserve and you are done. Yeah. Cause on somewhere you've got a bucket that's going to run dry <laughs> right. somewhere. There is a tub. We were in, um, uh, Haiti, the, oh, it's been years and years ago and we had a, uh, uh, shall we say a famous person's wife with us I don't know I probably shouldn't say her name and she happened to be the one in the shower at the end of the night when the water ran dry oops fully lathered <laughs> now what shampooed <laughs> and no water you know and and it's not like you just turn it on like someone has to go you know turn on the generator yada yada and we were the blessed ones because there was somebody that had a generator to turn on true most people are standing there with a bucket a five gallon bucket and a, a ladle um, that you're just splashing water on you with so there's a lot of conserving of water because it's it's a very finite resource and he is promising her something that is unbelievable to her
0: mind which is an infinite resource of water not a finite fact check update it's season one episode eight which is the last episode of season one which carries over into the first episode of season two i missed it by one episode it's not bad. That's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah, I was going to make fun of you because it was
1: episode eight. But if it's the last one, that may, that's the season finale.
0: Yeah. And then, and then it carries over yeah, yeah. to the first, the first episode of season The cliffhanger episodes. leading into the next one. Chapter four is on the way. This has been just any time that we do a, a, a verse by verse, chapter by chapter study of a book. It's always there's just always so much to learn and to take away. And it's amazing how relevant it is to our lives each and every time. And so it's just, we're just excited to be able to go through this book of John. It just, it seems to be hitting on all cylinders over the next couple of weeks. um, Some of us are traveling. We have some guest speakers coming in. And so we may be hit or miss over the next week or two on the podcast. So bear with us. Um, But man, we're going to be hitting the ground running here soon for the rest of this book. Thanks for joining us.